0: Another episode behind the, vinyl, behind the vinyl with Darren and Nicholas. Alrighty, well that was an interesting behind the vinyl, Nick. That was uh, uh, without a doubt one of the most interesting ones, I must say. Absolutely, guys. Today's um, episode is with a call we just had with Uncle Ted, as he calls himself Ted Nugent. Yeah, the one and only. The one and only. That's for sure. he he can talk. He can definitely talk.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. But, uh, as he points out in, in the interview that he's, he's 71 years old, but damn, he looks really healthy and, uh, man, his mind is clear as day.
0: Yeah. he, He looks healthy. He, he, he is healthy. He talks like he's sharp. Um, and he's so enthusiastic. There's, there's few people in this world, man, that are so enthusiastic for what they do as him. You can you can just tell that he's loving every second of his life, and it's it's wonderful, man. It's really good. It is.
1: It 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 is uh, inspirational in a, in a lot of ways. His his love for for music and and and, and so on. It's uh, it's it's quite amazing. I have to say. Exactly.
0: So uh, everyone, um, hope you enjoy. Um, I'm sure you will. Any, any fans out there in any way, shape, or form will will love this. And um, and do take the time to check out uh, Ted's latest record, "The Music Made Me Do It." It's uh, it's just a balls to the wall um, rock and Ted Nugent record, and it's great.
1: Absolutely, and also check out uh, all the old episodes of Behind the Vinyl. It's on a cast it's on itunes it's on spotify it's it's everywhere where you can find pods of all kinds absolutely
0: um all righty nick till next week and everyone else enjoy the show cool indeed
1: (laughs) oh how do i do
2: yeah can you guys hear me yes absolutely (laughs) god can you see me yes you're looking good, man. Greetings to Stockholm, Sweden. Are you guys in Stockholm, Sweden? Yes. In Stockholm. Absolutely. Wow. How yeah. do I make this bigger? Because these guys are really good looking. I want to get a good look at these guys. <laughs> I hope you're already recording this because this is all the good stuff. You know that, yes. don't you? It's on. We are. It's on. All right. Good. Well, I got to tell you. I am Ted Nugent and I am behind the most important vinyl in the world. I'm just saying, because if you want the sexiest animal breeding soundtrack in the history of
0: dangerous guitars, I'm your boy. (laughs) We we just said we could literally do 17 shows with you. Every album, um, every album we could cover with you easily.
2: Well, God bless you. Thank you very much. But let's start off by saluting those unbelievable world-class musicians that I have always had at my side. If you list my bandmates, I th- gentlemen, I think God loves me more than he loves you because <laughs> God sent the most unbelievably gifted and equal to their gifts. And the, the reason we uh, can embrace and appreciate their gifts is because of their work ethic. All right. the guys in my bands from the Lourdes, actually the Royal High Boys in 1958 in Detroit, and then the Lourdes who won the Battle of the Bands in 1963, um, we kicked ass on everybody. And I was only, what was I, 13 or 14 or some damn thing? Um, maybe going on 15. But we already had that throttle, that, that pulsation, that, that raw, primal urgency that chuck berry and bo diddley and little richard taught us um but then you go to the amboy dukes and those i can name every musician who i've ever had at my side and then the solo stuff and then the damn yankees and today in 2020 if only the pandemic would back the hell out of here uh (laughs) with greg smith on the bass guitar and jason hartless on the drums uh, it, it's the best music the most intense the tightest the m- most important of all the most fun music with Greg and Jason they they so represent the the superhuman dedication to the music that I've always had in every every musical atmosphere that I have done the swan dive into so i i'm sure that's why it touches you guys but you you must agree that my identification and articulation of what we all love whether it's my music or other people's music but especially my music um that i just explained it perfectly
0: didn't i absolutely, absolutely. but I, I remember the first time i actually saw you live because born and raised in australia was when you australia had- the outback man i want to go to australia and suit some damn bush bulls <laughs> <laughs> you should Um, You had Tommy Clefidos and uh, Marco Mendoza. Unbelievable. Tommy Clefetos and
2: Marco Mendoza. That it it must have ripped your head clean off. Are those guys absolutely superhuman or what?
0: (laughs) I've I've always said you can never get a better band than that. However, you keep kind of you you keep matching it and you've done it again here. Like, Like, dude, Jason is 25 years old, right?
2: Well, he's only twenty I think he's going on twenty-four. I hired him when he was just turned twenty. But that's a I gotta tell you guys, that's a perfect example of that Detroit spirit. Yeah. What I was I was on the phone with Mitch Ryder last week. And oh. band the Lords opened up for Billy Lee and the Rivieras at the Wald Lake Casino in October of nineteen sixty one. Uh and my band, the lures were the opening band, and then Gene Pitney. Gene Pitney was on stage, and then a brand new Detroit group called Martha and the Vandellas. Nice. And then Billy Lee and the Rivieras came on. Now, eventually, they changed their name to Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. But what I saw from Johnny Banagic on drums, who played with me on Shut Up and Jam, Johnny Banagic. Remember that name. All drummers worship Johnny Benangic and do yourself a favor listen to Jenny take a ride by Mitch Ryder in the Detroit wheels and I dare you to find a more soulful sexy pulsation than what Earl Elliot on bass Johnny Benangic on drums Joe Kubrick on rhythm guitar es335 or cherry one through a fender Twin Amp and Jimmy McCarty on a Gibson Birdland through a better Twin Amp. Are you kidding me? So I watched these five animals and they were just teenagers. And I thought my band, the Lords were the only guys that did that. What you listen to on Motor City Madhouse or on the new album, big fun, dirty groove noise. What the hell kind of music is this? And, and when I watched that day in 1961, And we did a number of gigs with them to this day. What is it? What is it? 60 years later? I think it's almost 60 years later. Gentlemen, Darren, Nick, the world who loves music for Ted Nugent to be able to look you right in the eye. And I am (laughs) and tell you that my tour in 2019 was the most gratifying and again, the most important word, fun, tightest energized, musically authoritative with Jason Hartless bringing that Detroit thing. And Jason studied under Johnny Benadric and Jason studying under Tommy Clefettos. And remember, Chad Smith, who is what kind of animal is Chad Smith? He was born in Detroit, so he brought that with him no matter where he went. So I could keep you here for a 100 days with stories of why you love the music like you do, because I was there. When we took what Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and Little Richard invented, they invented it, and it, it it imprinted on us like a mother goose on a gosling. And I can follow the scent trail through the swamp. So I, I appreciate so much that you guys love the music and that you've invited me here on this uh, behind the vinyl campfire to to. And obviously, good luck shutting me up because <laughs> because you can tell you can tell it's seventy-one, and I, By the way, I'm soaking wet. I just got in from doing my chores and training the dogs. I washed my trucks, and I went around the property. And I think I get, I think I get about a hundred and fifty yards to the gallon in my Ford Bronco just to piss off Al Gore. But anyhow, my point is, is that I played my Gibson Birdland this morning already, and at seventy-one, because I've been clean and sober for seventy-one years, that purple rem. Purple rimmed penis radar of my life. My whole life is like a purple rimmed erect penis. It's very touchy and susceptible to the most minute stimuli. And I still live that at seventy-one. And is that not is that not the ultimate gift that God could possibly provide a person that loves the music like we do? I'm a lucky son of a bitch, man.
0: Let's let's go back on to Jason. Like you said, you're 71 years old, but you're still singing and performing with as much piss and vinegar vinegar that kids of 25 are doing. You know? I think more. Yeah, ja- Jason, I think it was Jason that said last year,
2: he said, if the 25 year old Ted Nugent showed up, I'd kick his ass. now i can't jump off the amplifiers anymore and i don't ride buffaloes on stage and i don't swing from ropes i think you can all agree that the greatest philosopher in the history of the world was dirty harry when he said a good man needs to know his limitations so what i used to do in a leaping athletic you know original bruce jenner uh olympic orgy on stage bruce not caitlin um love What I used to do, I literally just physically can't do that. Plus, I'm smart enough not to try because I'd hurt myself because I am old, but I still have, I got to tell you, my wife said that we've been married for 31 years and I don't do anything different today than I've ever done. And my son said, you know, he's 44 and my oldest son is 51 and they always are exclaiming that because I take good care of myself and I seek my spirit in the great outdoors, dedicating myself to accepting the gifts of venison and spirit from god and that's really important that my health and my enthusiasm is is at a peak right now so mm. uh, that's why the music made me do it. it sounds like a bunch of horny teenagers in a garage with their first amplifiers because it's still spontaneous and it's still organic and instinctive and and primal just like the first damn boy Dukes album or my first solo album or the first damn Yankee. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think as music lovers, if you do behind the vinyl, you have to admit that most killer bands, their first record has a has a fire that is rarely returned to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're hungry and they, we, but I, I think I still have that. No, I don't think. I do still have that hunger because I can so thoroughly – completely escaped the music like I was this morning. I went in the swamp with my dogs and when I came back, it was like learning Chuck Berry all over again in many ways, though I just happen to have it down really good now. Um, So that spontaneity that is, with all due respect to my stoner friends out there, and I have a lot of friends who are comfortably numb, which is actually uncomfortably dumb, Uh, (laughs) by the way, Did you get a? Were you able to hear the song they didn't put on the record called Uncomfortably Dumb? Yep. Is that awesome or what? But anyhow, (laughs) I'm I'm waxing poetic here. So is Mrs. Nugent, by the way. So I got to leave soon. Um, But but what I'm sharing with you here is, I think, my version of your love of the music, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's it's also really biographical. Like um, uh, the music made me do it, just even the lyrics. Music made me do it. Not a damn thing I could do. Now I'm going to do it to you. You know, it's so autobiographical, you know, and it seems like that's your whole life. The music is basically, between music and hunting, it's the two things that make you do everything. Sure. Tooth, bang, and Claw is absolute honest. Yep. Fred Bear,
2: um, Spirit of the Buffalo is absolutely honest, and so is Wang Tango, and so is Wang Dang Sweet Poontang, and so is Stranglehold. A lot of people think Stranglehold is a love song, which they're correct, but it's it, it's how I I wrote that. I don't write songs. I jam, and and things just happen. It's out of body. It's a samurai um, spirit unleashing. I don't. I never sit down with a pad of paper and go. I wonder what I should write about today. Hmm, what key should it be in? What should be the tempo? I, I've never never in my life have I even just now saying that is the first time i've ever used words that would hint that you might analyze the approach to songwriting um i don't write songs i just unleash my inner soul whether it's silly wango tango outrage which really isn't quite really a- actually silly um or or the sincerity of a fred bear or the music made me do it or the outrage of big fun dirty groove noise or the the historical r&b of Um, I love you too much, baby, or you make me feel right at home with vibes and Cliff Davies used the brushes. I I mean, think of the uncharted territory that I've never, and I don't need to get credit for it because I give myself credit for it. And real music lovers every day on Facebook identify those musical escapades that I've provided for people. But because the industry doesn't like me because I'm against their drugs, which is really crazy really what it boils down to, or because I murder innocent animals, or I believe in guns. You know, all the perfect things. They're angry because I like perfect shit. Um, but someday, maybe someday, and I know you guys already do, and I thank you for acknowledging the unbelievable music landscape that I dance on. I mean, it really, it really is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Stranglehold to take me home on the uh, Little Miss, da- I think it was Penetrator or Little Miss Dangerous, or the or the depth of blackness on the song Little Miss Dangerous, the way I sang it and that six string bass that I played. Yeah. So I- I'm kind of going all over the place, which I'm really good at, um, because I know that that's what you want behind the vinyl. And this is the adventure that is behind the vinyl. And I'm about to make some new music. I've unleashed new songs that are just insane wonderful. And I'm going to go in the studio here at some point, maybe after the pandemic, and capture these new songs. And they are stone-cold motherfuckers. Nice. <laughs> I love you too much, baby. I love you all
3: the time. I love you too much, baby. I love you all the time. I love you so much, baby.
1: tell us about, you mentioned I Love You Too Much, Baby, and great singer in uh, Elisa Simmons. Unbelievable. Another example of the quality of uh, talent that I'm surrounded by. That
2: was a Michael Lutz idea. And, of course, Michael Lutz has co-produced a bunch of my albums with me. And he is the author of Smoking in the Boys Room. He's the founder yeah. of uh, uh, Brownsville Station. Just Again, a global historical musical force is Michael Lutz. He, he lives and breathes music. He, he You know, I, I cut a good fart and he'll go, that was a B-flat. Um, you know, <laughs> he really really lives and breathes music uh, while remaining um, raw and, and a kid in his enthusiasm for the origins. Again, I reference Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley all the time because they founded all this. But I Love You Too Much Baby, Michael said what about Alyssa? And I knew who Alyssa was. I've seen her perform. Uh, and I said, well, that'd be awesome. That's perfect. He said, how about if she answers you and takes one of the uh, verses? And I said, hell yes. So I'm glad you identified that because a lot of people might not notice that, but she really is. She could be Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner, couldn't she? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's
0: yeah, that's yeah, what absolutely. she said. She's got she's got the soul voice of a young Aretha Franklin. And, yes, and when you see another her, she doesn't it doesn't trans, when you see it, you're like, oh my God, is that, is that who's got a voice like that? Well, when you, when you watch me
2: in action, I'm so, shall I say un- uninhibited, um, but stop and think, you know, the, the, the bass part on Stranglehold, that's me. I played bass on Stranglehold. Rob oh. Grange, a phenomenal bass player, just unbelievable bass player. But when I created Stranglehold, it was on the bass guitar. And it's got that that throttle. It's got a lot. It's not da 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 da. That's how a white guy would play it. Mine is It's like tambourines and maracas and a hi hat and a bass drum and and and, and grinding bo ditty cha cha And so when we recorded it, and again Rob is a world class monster bass player. Just listen to the stuff he did on those albums. But nobody on the face of the earth can play the stranglehold bass line or the little miss dangerous bass line or the hammer down bass line or the dog eat dog bass line that i but i'm not well i guess i am bragging because it really has a, a spectacular <laughs> i mean it really is outrageous isn't it it's a beautiful thing but it's because of my grace notes and i i hit the strings with the with the meat of my hand so that some go blah, and some go <laughs> so I mean, nobody else can play that shit um greg does a phenomenal job but i played bass on a whole bunch of those songs because of it's my baby and I'd like to dress my baby the way I want to dress my baby and when I'm done dressing my baby it's really good utilitarian effective good looking clothing whether anybody likes it or not (laughs) and everybody who does love music they do like it a lot
0: What did you play bass on this record? Like you played it on Sunrise, right? That was you playing the bass on Sunrise.
2: Yeah, that's a phenomenal old classic Fender bass six. It's yeah. a Fender six-string bass from 1962. I have a 62 and a 64 that I got from a great man named Tony Dukes, and you should pursue who Tony Dukes was because he got Billy Gibson in his first 59 Les Paul, Billy Gibbons, and he got me my first 58 and 59 Les Paul. Tony Dukes, God rest his soul. He got into the drugs and the alcohol and he died too young, just like Steve Farmer. You know, Steve Farmer, the Amboy Dukes, died yesterday. And there was a time where he was such a brilliant, nice man. But the more stoned and and high you get, you lose that humanity. People who will get pissed off when I say that, that's tough shit, but the reason they get pissed off is because they've lost their humanity. Yeah, Your brain will never work as good after getting high, as it did before you get high. And if anybody wants to argue with that, I'll see if I can get Joe Perry to form a sentence for you. And I love Joe. Mm. And I'm not, I'm, I don't mean to be mean-spirited, but nobody nobody brings a quality of life to their family or friends when they're high, period. Mm. Point being <laughs> that that I've always focused on the the soulfulness of the music. And so when I when I, when I play the bass guitar on a song, it's because as, as awesome the best bass players in the world have been at my side, from certainly Rob Grange and, and Greg Rama, God rest his soul, and certainly uh, Marco Mendoz and Johnny Gunnell and Michael Lutz and Jack Blades. I mean, they're all phenomenal. Uh, more pure musical than I am but I think that's my that's my gold card I am effectively musical but I'm also reasonably uh, dissonant you know what I mean you you can play perfect like Steve Marriott watch the last days of Steve Marriott when it was just a three piece and he was playing that Gibson through a Marshall amp and can Eddie Van Halen do what Steve Marriott can't do? Yes. But guess what? Steve Marriott did stuff that Eddie can't do, you know, and I'm not knocking anybody or trying to compare them, even though I just did, but there's a, there's a, an edge clash thing to not trying to be perfectly musical. The, I mean, think of what little Richard did screaming and, mm-hmm. When Paul McCartney tried to be Little Richard, and he did, he, 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 he literally, you know, delivered Little Richard. But their best stuff was, you know, instead of a nice note, <laughs> veins popping off the forehead. That vein popping off the forehead passion is better than a perfectly in tune note. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's what I've always brought to it not because I can't go to a perfect note, but I've, I've had, you know, arguments over the years. Boy, I've had some arguments. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> arguing with me? I'll kick your ass. Um, Where they go, you know, that wasn't quite in tune. And I went, I know, but listen to it. You know, um, some of the best shit in the world wasn't quite in tune, but it's so, this it's so raw and animal that you don't, you don't want to fuck with this. Look, look at the, the police. Their first album. Um, what they say, they did it in like a couple days and they didn't do any pre production. I just found a mic and put it in front of Sting's amp. His, his thing is here. It's hmm. not in the wires, it's not in the controls. My thing is here. It's not in the technology. And that's where Michael Lutz and all my best producers, I listened to Little Miss Dangerous the other day. Dear God, that's Michael Verdick. Um, and he was tuned into what is the musician delivering? I have to find the technology to capture that because some technology can't capture the, 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 the outrageous spread of tonalities of my birdland. So my team, Tony Raleigh and Tom Worman, oh, were they great. They would, and Michael Lutz and uh, Tim and Andy do the same thing. They go and listen, which speaker sounds like Ted in the room because the mic can only go here even though we use room mics. So yeah. are, are, am I am I rattling on too much, or is this fascinating to you? Because it's fascinating to fasc- me. <laughs> this is fascinating, keep going, keep going. So, so in order to capture the essence of Green Day, before they thought they were being musical, somebody was able to capture their shit kicker street dirt. And I think sh- shit kicker street dirt, boy, am I really good at identifying what I wanna say or what. Street, shit kicker street dirt is way more important than Pink Floyd making sure the keyboards and the guitar are technically perfect. And I'm not knocking Pink Floyd. I just never really, I don't dig melancholy music um, or stoner music, though I love King Crimson, 21st century schizoid man. What the hell? Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? Shit kicker street dirt. Is always more important than uh, than perfection, musical uh, uh, minutia. Yeah. Remember, remember, you guys didn't get to see the MC5 in 1967. I did.
1: Mm. But it's about the soul, isn't it? The soul. soul that's
2: it? that street. That's that shit kicker, street dirt. Yeah. Wilson Pickett, the Motown Funk Brothers. I got to hear the original recording four track of a bunch of Motown hits, the Temptations, the Four Tops, Stevie Wonder, uh, 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 Marvin Gaye. I was able to hear the, the Funk Brothers, just the Funk Brothers without the vocals. Their, their, their tones and their, their sounds were so dirty and clanging. The bass drum went, bleh, 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 bleh. they're just noisy as shit. So when someone in our recording process came in, because I don't know how many recording sessions you've been on, but somebody, the engineer or somebody come in and go, you know, that snare drum's really noisy. Let's all tape a, a maybe a wallet, put a wallet to get rid of all that noise. I went, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> the noise is what it's all about, you dirtbag. Um, and whether it's Stuart Copeland or Denny Carmassi or Chad Smith, or all the world's greatest drummer, Carmine Appice, all my incredible drummers. Are you kidding me, Tommy Aldridge? What the Tommy Clufeta? What the way you kidding me? Um, uh, uh, all my drummers. What, John Bonham, remember? Well, John Bonham's drums are really big because they didn't tape a wallet to the damn drum to get rid of the noise. That They put the mics up to capture. <laughs> way, way, even though it's not John Bonham. But that <laughs> noise, the, the queen went for the noise. Mm, a mm. lot of recording engineers over the years would try to get rid of that noise for, I don't know, for, to pussify it. But all that, of our favorite music, I have a funny feeling, is really noisy. Um, yeah. Listen to what Joe Perry did on the Fender bass six, the six string bass guitar on Back in the Saddle. Yeah, absolutely. Steven, yeah. I'm back! I mean, he sounded like a, 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 a Wolverine caught by the scrotum in a trap with a hot, <laughs> with a hot uh, cold poker stuck up his ass. Um, th- that that uh, you love that like I love that. And that, <laughs> that delivers the essence of rock and roll and rhythm and blues and the best music better than anything in the world of perfection.
0: this with this record, uh, the music made me do it. We felt, because you did that in five days, right? That's another example of that. We just let her rip. Yeah. And that's what that's what it sounded like. It sounded raw and edgy and that we could connect it. Like both Nick and I are like, um, this is such a great Nugent record.
2: Yeah, and- I'll tell you That album with headphones on is one of the greatest musical experiences. It's certainly as good as any album I've ever done and mm. better than some. Uh, and the songs are—I so, think they're so interesting. And the musical movements, the lick on where you're going to run to get away from yourself. What what kind of guitar yeah. lick is that? I yeah. mean, it reminds me of Raw Dogs and War Hogs from uh, Crave. Crave right Man. The yeah. What? Uh, what? What? What killer guitar lick? How about the guitar lick for the music made me do it? What? Who comes up with shit like that? And I got a new song called. <laughs> I mean, uh, just leave me alone. I wish I could deliver it over the, the computer. <laughs> but I got a new song with another guitar lick that is like just what the doctor ordered meets Stormtroop and meets, uh, uh, I don't know, it, it meets uh, uh, Long Tall Sally. Uh, but I got these, my, my my life comes out in guitar patterns that are excitable and the Chuck Berry Little Richard fan demands that I create, and, and I do on a daily basis. It's really
0: unbelievable. Is it, is it still important for you to, uh, to, to get rid of that music out of you, to put it on, to, to make records and all that kind of stuff? Is it still important to get it out there to everyone? Absolutely. Um, in spite of the fact there is no
2: music industry, <laughs> which is just <laughs> a heartbreaker. Um, but yeah, I'm a music guy. Um, my life can be described in God, family, country, freedom, and the musical soundtrack for that independent lifestyle. Um, so the music, it's not something that I can give or take. It, it, it's like breathing, it's like eating, it's like getting my bow and arrow and, and mining the spirit, M-I-N-I-N-G, like, you're, like you mine coal and gold from the ground. I need to mine and cultivate my spirit so that I can, and that's the origins of Zen. It's the origins of the samurai, uh, superhuman uh, animal. And archery really does define that. And my guitar playing is the same thing. And I got a buddy who's a welder who it's that's the same thing. And I think if you are the absolute best you can be, which I, I, I dedicate myself, I sacrifice, and I take risks to achieve as close to perfection as I can, in my mind's eye of what perfection is, um, that the music, it, it can't be contained. Hmm. I, it, it, I, somebody, People are always asking me in interviews, thousands and thousands of times, well, if you had to choose between music and hunting, which would it be? I, like, I already <laughs> chose, I'm doing both, fuck you. Um, <laughs> it's like, what would you rather do, shit or breathe? I'm doing both. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You heard it all before, but I'm gonna say it again. Time is running out, the means justifies the end. Everybody knows you gotta gotta make your stand. I'm going for the throat.
1: Do, do you play do you play every day?
2: Every day. Every day. Yeah. I got a personal of guitars over here that are they just have a life of. In fact, at an old age, I just bought another 1965 Gibson Birdland that is so incredible. I found a guy in North Dakota who bought it because of me. I think 99% of Birdlands that are purchased because of, they want to try to make stranglehold happen. Which, <laughs> Good luck and God bless you, but it 'll never happen uh, and and he, he it went on uh, the internet and i have a i have a Gibson Birdland guru Todd Carlson from uh Ontario, Canada, who has fallen in love with the birdland because of the music i 've created on it and as a guitar player everyone how does he get that sound how Where does that tone come from how, how does in hibernation How in God's name can you get those overtones and feedback melodies and control it with this jazz guitar in front of eight Fender amplifiers? And my answer to that is, I haven't the faintest fucking idea. Uh, (laughs) It's about hours and a lifetime of playing and and exploring the neck and how I marry the neck in my right hand and left hand. Again, that's archery, isn't it? This Mm. hand better be in perfect communication with this hand because this hand's got to point the bow and this hand's got to let the arrow go when this hand is pointing the bow properly. It's it's phenomenal. It's the physics of spirituality and that's what my guitar playing is. And I'm coming up with these licks that are every... gentleman. you're just going to have to take my word for it because it's unbelievable. Every day, every time, if I pick up my guitar four or five times a day, which... You know, maybe sometimes it's only a couple times. Every time, every day of my life, except maybe when I'm in Alaska in a tent, there's no guitar there, so I might go for 10 days without it, though that'll never happen again. Um, Every time, a killer lick happens. Hmm. You you should do an interview with Greg and Jason and, and ask them, so when Ted's warming up, and I, you know I don't warm up. i Believe me, I'm warmed up when I'm in the when I'm in the dressing room with my guitar, slamming out licks just because I feel like it. I'm not like warming up. I was warmed up in 1959. I remain warmed up. I don't need to warm <laughs> up. Um, they'll tell you. They'll come in and go, "What is that? Is that a new song?" And I go, "It should be." I, don't, I just did it. First time I ever played that. I go, "That's fucking outrageous." Um, every time I pick up the guitar. Not just a good lick happens, a motherfucker, hmm. a grinding, shimmy, grunting uh, lick happens. It, it it really. And then I, I remember all of them in one way or another. And, and as you, if you really, if we really could sit down with the music made me do it, the opening lick that <laughs> Who would have come up with an E-flat chord in the middle of that? It's perfect. Um, And then everybody loves the groove. You got to get I mean, those licks came all separate. Um, You could not fantasize the G with the open G to the F with the open G to the E minor, the open G to F with the open G. I played that lick. In the dress room, and I, one of the guys might have said, well, That's awesome. What is that? I, mean, I don't know, but it's awesome. And then I, it was a totally different day. That's an awesome lick. You got to do something with that. I go, Yeah, that's an awesome lick. I will do something with that. And then the, those three different licks. And then, of course, it's all go, 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 Mm -hmm. For example, when I, in Stranglehold, which was a jam session that started in 1967, and we constantly dicked around with it forever, and I finally put it into a song form, loosely, for the Ted Nugent solo album, I said, with Rob on bass guitar, he's such a genius bass player, I said, let's jump down to F sharp and I want a bass solo. And everybody went, ah, come on bass solos aren't cool man I went well you're gonna make one that is we're going to F sharp and you're gonna do a fucking bass solo Just shut the fuck up and record this <laughs> and he did he went out and worked out that awesome timeless historical lyrical bass solo mm. so when I have a hunch it's my baby If I want to put a camouflage diaper on him, shut the fuck up. I'm putting a camouflage diaper on him. Um, So luckily my team, even though there's a resistance occasionally, I I think I can explain myself efficiently to convince them we should probably go to F sharp and do a bass solo. And gentlemen, it is if you watch some of these uh, black hip hop guys where they analyze old songs, Um, they give their take on old songs. A bunch of these guys have been exposed to stranglehold the first time they're wearing the headphones and stranglehold starts and they're just blown away with the groove. How can you not be? But when that F sharp bass solo comes on, they all go fuck. So (laughs) these are the kind of things that when I believe in something, you best get out of my way. If a house gets in my way, I'll burn the fucker down. Love it. Love it. I just want to go hunting, baby.
3: Nobody understood I didn't play follow the leader Cause I was always in the woods They hadn't been invented peer pressure yet It seems I stood alone But my daddy had a vision Love, family, and a home Yeah, but the punks used to laugh at me They said, how can you rock and not get high? go huntin'. it makes me feel so good, I just want to go hunting, trying to find me in the woods, things get a little crazy, in this day and age, the concrete jungle warfare, got everybody in a race. The dogs and the family Cause I got to feeling, life With the wild life where I can breathe And I just want to go hunting Makes me feel so good Yeah! I just want to go hunting Try and find me in the woods Yeah! I'm slipping away Looking for a new sunrise I'm feeling okay He said, "Go ahead, wagon, 10. So I take my kids home, so I don't have to hunt for my kids. You see, we jump in the four-wheel drive, load up the dogs and the family, and I got the feeling alive with the wild life where.
0: There's a couple of other tracks on the record as well. Let's let's touch on Fred Bear. Now Fred Bear, what a yeah. It's, it's been around it, for a while. The track has been around since uh, Spirit of the Wild, but first time album wise you played it, or you've recorded it acoustically, and it kind of gives it a completely new life to it as well. Well, that what a story
2: that is. Um, Fred Bear was a, a great friend of mine. He was the modern father of bow hunting. He was born in, I think, 1902, and he moved to Michigan from Pennsylvania, got interested in handcrafting bows at at that that pre-industrial revolution, you know, manifest destiny of of culture in those early 1900s. And he started, he fell in love with it because they found the last of the yacht, oh, I could keep you here for a couple hours just telling you the story of Fred Bear, but when (laughs) I was born... When I was born in 1948, my dad was already a follower of Fred Bear, and many people were picking up the bow and arrow instead of the long-range rifle, which was developing exponentially for more deadly effectiveness at longer ranges, which is a great discipline itself. Marksmanship is a great discipline, but Fred promoted understanding your relationship with the animals more intimately and, and, and handicapping yourself. To not be able to shoot them at a long ways, but challenge yourself to penetrate the impenetrable radar of prey animals that God created for you not to get close to. Because the awareness of a deer, his sense of smell and hearing and sight is nothing short of miraculous. They have a sixth sense where they can just tell what I'm getting out of bed in the morning. Um, (laughs) And so Fred promoted... Learning more about our relationship with nature, instead of just making it easier to kill an animal. Hmm. So, a lot of met, a lot of people, especially after World War II, were looking for an escape from the horrors of World War II, and so a lot of people started picking up on that. And I get to, I get, I got to hunt with Fred eventually. But when I was born in '48, every kid got a BB gun, and you made slingshots. You went down to the woods and made a bow and arrow. There's just an instinctive primal urgency of man to have a weapon to get food and protect himself with that's really what that is um and i was fascinated by archery and then i finally got a little kid's bow and it just exploded and and, and snowballed just like my music get a shitty guitar and fumbling and then get a guitar that i could learn chuck berry music and it was a parallel um explosion between bow hunting and getting close to animals and hopefully killing one for the dinner table and finding new uncharted territory and learning how to play music on the guitar instead of this god-awful noise that you're guilty of the first few years and when I met Fred Bear I keep looking out the window because there's ducks out there checking out (laughs) the ducks um uh I didn't know who he was. I was just fascinated with the bow and arrow. But I would meet this old man named Fred Bear on our annual hunting trips to northern Michigan. And by the time I was six or seven, I started realizing this is Fred Bear. This is like the Chuck Berry of, of bow hunting. And so I became enamored with him, um, kind of like a, a, a gaga fan. And it inspired me to pursue. More efficient, accurate archery and stealthier uh, bow hunting techniques by the time I was 10, 11, 12. And then I befriended him. We'd actually meet him at his little shop, and we had chocolate milk and cherry pie at the Grayling restaurant. Um, and I was just in awe that a guy who is just addicted to the mystical flight of the arrow get to hang with the God of the mystical flight of the arrow. And when I moved to Chicago with my family, my dad was transferred to 64, and that's where I started the Amboy Dukes at 64. Um, I kept archery, I, I shot my bow all the time. And then I when I graduated from high school, 67, I came back to Michigan and immediately went back and met Fred, reconnected with Fred Bear. And I was just, you know, a fine kind gentleman, an, an innovative entrepreneur and master of promoting conservation and a, and, a, and a love affair, an intimacy with nature that, like the Native Americans and, and aboriginal people of Africa and Australia, that you have a spiritual connection and responsibility to understand your sacred relationship with the animals that provide food, clothing, shelter, medicine, tools, weapons, spirit, glue. It comes from the animals. And modern man was increasingly distancing themselves from that responsible love affair with nature. We've seen it. And so I hunted with Fred bear every year and I'd, I'd give up gigs. I would give up millions of dollars just to go hunt with Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just loved the man. He was a kind, funny man. And in 1987, we walked down these beautiful fiery fall, colored trails of orange and reds and golds and and beautiful October day. And Fred was already on an oxygen tank because of his uh, experimenting with uh, the blending of wood and glass, fiberglass, to create his artistic recurve bows. They're pieces of art. And he didn't understand uh, inhaling some of those uh, spores of that procedure. So we had a little oxygen tent tank that he walked around with and he was big tall six foot six guy skinny lanky guy funny guy a just kind guy a real gentleman and uh he told me that he had heard the criticisms the the attacks that I was getting because I murdered innocent animals and even people in the hunting industry hated me because I had too much fun oh he's being disrespectful and go, disrespectful he's He's excited. He's shooting flaming arrows on stage. Show me a better uh, demonstration of archery to get young people interested in archery than Ted Nugent shooting flaming arrows on stage, you dirtbag. <laughs> so Fred said, ignore your critics. I love what you do. He said, every sporting event I attend, and he's Fred Bear, he's the god of bow hunting." He said, every sporting event I go to, all anybody wants to know, anybody under 50, is do you know Ted Nugent? Because I had displayed and and articulated the discipline of, of archery control to more people than the entire industry had. I mean, you go back to my all my interviews, I think I don't think there's ever been an interview where I didn't mention the mystical flight of the arrow or the soul cleansing of my bull hunting lifestyle. Hmm. Why that confuses people is a, is a direct result of people thinking that comfortably numb is, is somehow a good choice in life. Um, so Fred thanked me and he said, you keep doing what you're doing. He says, you're touching people and introducing more bow hunters and archers than this industry could possibly ever impact. Those were his words. Well, that next March, next April, he died. And it was really hard it was really painful. My mom had just died recently. And, I, and I'm a full, alive guy. So as outrageous and fun as I can be, I can also be as outrageous hurt and, and, and heartbroken. Well, I got up one morning. And instead of doing my chores, I picked up the guitar and that haunting pattern came out. And I sang the song. I didn't write a word down. I had no idea what chords I was going to play. My hands went on a life of their own, and I sang those words. And I cried like a baby. And my wife consoled me. I called Michael Lutz and Gunnar Ross, and we went to Pearl Sound in Canton, Michigan. And I, said, I said, Mike, book a studio now. And he didn't even ask me why. He goes, he knew something was up. And that original electric recording happened that day. I showed Gunner and Michael, and I cried the whole time. Hmm. I, I showed them the song, Take One. Hmm. And I, I was playing an experimental Paul Reed Smith guitar that was not hollow body, It did not feedback, but you listen to that guitar solo. How that Paul Reed Smith guitar fed back for me That was Fred. Mm. That was Fred's spirit and probably my mom, too. Yeah. Um, But it was magical. So take that song. You have no idea, but I'm about to give you the idea. How many families have used that song at the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, Mm. flag draped coffins coming home from war? Families reuniting after many years of feuding. Young people choosing to be clean and sober and try bow hunting instead of going the asshole route with drugs and alcohol and vaping and gangs and crime. I mean, their words. They've said this to me. Hmm. Um and so take it to an unbelievable level where for many years, since nineteen sixty-eight was the first time. A kid got a hold of me, who was dying of cancer, and his last wish in life was to go hunting with me. He had never hunted before. He heard me talking about it, loved me, flaming arrows on stage, and he got a hold of my booking agent, uh, Dave Leone and Nick Karras at uh, Diversified Management. I can't believe I remember all this shit. Is that awesome? Isn't it clean and sober? <laughs> um, so I took this kid named Jason. He was 18. He was dying of cancer, and his last wish in life was to go hunt with Ted Nugent. Well, after the Fred Bear song came out, families would ask for their little boys and girls, six, seven, eight years old, their last wish in life is to go hunting with Ted Nugent. How? Do, how does this happen? Mm. Little boys and girls, and they all, one hundred percent of them, reference the Fred Bear song.
0: Yeah, it, it's so, amazing that a that a song of of sorrow can can give so much. Can be such. Um, so helpful for so many people. And it ri- and so the, c- the acoustic version was an
2: inescapable uh, power that around a hunting campfire, you can't have an electric guitar, hmm. and I'd bought an acoustic guitar and play this song for these little boys and girls, and they'd smile, and the parents would have to leave the campfire because they would just cry their eyes out. And I'd have to summon a power that is otherwise unnecessary or unattainable to not cry when I'm playing the song for a little boy or girl who's dying. Mm. And I'm getting emotional right now telling you about this, but stop and think of a child who wants the Motor City Madman to take them on a hunt before they die and want me to play Fred Bear. Mm. What, what is, what, I'm really good at identifying and explaining everything. And I could try to explain that, but I don't think I really can. Is that not phenomenal? Mm-hmm. Is, that, it's, is it's it's myst, nice. It's mystical. Yeah. I could tell you. I could keep you here with thousands of stories. And I could tell you thousands of stories how people have made babies to stranglehold and little Miss <laughs> <laughs> Um which is a phenomenon to itself. <laughs> but the Fred Bear song. When I play that live, you know, Stranglehold's powerful. Great White Buffalo is out of body. All these songs, Free For All, Dog Eat Dog, Motor City Madhouse, um, Raw Dogs and Warhogs, Hibernation, Good Friends in a Bottle of Wine, uh, all these, un- Cat Scratch Fever, Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang, the music made me, I mean, all these songs, Crave, we play Crave and everybody sings the lyrics to Crave. Because it's the, it's the lyrics to a shit kicker's independent life. Um, but when I play Fred Bear, nobody's feet touch the ground. It is It is a spiritual moment. August 31st, 2019 in Detroit at Pine Knob, just north of Detroit. When I came out for the encore and played Fred Bear, Everybody, little boys and girls, old guys older than me, in their hunting jacket, <laughs> they sing that song. It is it's unbelievable. It is it is the definitive mountaintop of musical connection. I'm sure if Elvis came down and sang Imagine with John Lennon, it would be pretty spectacular, but nothing. Compared to when I sing Fred Bear, especially in Michigan, where he really imprinted on people. But quite honestly, when I play Big Bear, California, where the radio never plays the song Fred Bear, though they hear it on satellite radio all the time. Um, And it's just a a drunken shit kicker maniac fest. Um, It still comes. I won't say comes down, but it reorganizes to a different humanity. Then Motor City, Madhouse, or Free For All. And when I play Fred Bear, even in the most raucous, outrageous, sweating, fist-pumping, maniac rock and roll event, it's, it's everything in my power, which is substantial, to maintain composure to sing the fucking song because it means so much to me and it's a direct prayer to Fred and all these people who have shared their stories with me and all those kids around those campfires, and I gotta just—I gotta be. How, how about this? I gotta be tougher than when I uh, uh, can't think of his name right now. What? What's the Elton? When, when Elton John sang that song at Lady Di's funeral, nice. I have to be. I have to be stronger than that. Is that a perfect example of strength that he can? He maintained composure, uh, uh, an elderly gay man, not that that has an elderly or gay has anything to do with it, but his being is what he is, his love affair with Lady Di and the whole world watching in such an emotional musical moment, he didn't cry. And that's what I call, I go, Elton John didn't cry at Lady Di's funeral. You can't cry. You gotta play the song.
3: It happened. Cause in the wind he's still alive Talking about Fred Bear Walk with me down the trails again Take me back, take me back where I belong Oh, Fred Bear I'm glad to have you at my side, my friend And I will join you on the big hunt before too long before too long and it was kind of dark another misty dusk and it came from a tangle down below and i tried to remember Everything you taught me so well I had to decide which way to go Was I alone or in a hunter's dream The moment of truth is here and now I felt his touch, I felt his guiding hand Buck was mine forevermore Because of am Fred Bear I walk down those trails again He takes me back Takes me back where I belong Fred Bear I'm glad to have you in my side, my friend And I will join you On the big hunt before too long Doors, we got his spirit, we got his soul, and he guides my steps, guides my arrows home. The restless spirit forever roams, and it roams a threadbare When I walk down those trails again, he takes me back. Takes me back where I belong. Fred Bear, I'm glad to have you in my side, my friend. And I will join you on the big hunt before too long. Cause in the wind, he's still alive. In the wind, he's still alive in the wind. I can hear I hear Fred ben. I hear you Fred. Let's go hunt buddy come on.
0: It's it's amazing twenty-five years later when you put it on a record and it's still it still has that feeling. It still has that emotion for you and for for people that listen to it. It's amazing, and that that
2: is expressed every day on on Facebook. Yeah, you, know, you go to yeah. my fa- I hope you guys go to my Facebook. It's an orgy of truth, <laughs> logic, common sense, shit kicker, uninhibited. You know, middle fingers on fire, and and clever, smart, um, uh, really loving, caring, um, outrageous people. I, I have the best people on planet Earth. From Australia, New Zealand, uh, Ireland, Scotland, England, Belgium, France, Spain, uh, Japan, uh, Canada, all every state. I go to my Facebook. What an incredible human ca- campfire that is every day. So there's only one thing more dangerous than a sow grizzly bear with cubs. Ted Nugent with more confidence, and what these people <laughs> they, they share with me every day just a celebration. Of truth, logic, and common sense—not my truth, logic, and common sense. Truth, logic, and common sense. So yeah. it's really pretty special. So when I get down to the guitar, I'm really, really cocky. Okay. I, I feel—I feel like my—not only doesn't my shit not stink, that it really, really stinks. Because if you're gonna have—if you're gonna have good shit, it's really got to piss off the dogs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're gonna touch upon cat scratch fever. Yes, right. we do. Right. You rewrote well, "Cat's Got Fever."
2: Again, what a what a what an inescapable grinding grooving lick. Yeah, oh. hell yeah. I mean, the first time you heard it. It was like fuck, and that was a perfect example. It was backstage in Pittsburgh in '76. Tom Worman was there, and and Derek and Rob and Cliff and my crew, and we're about to go on stage. And I'm in the dressing room.
4: I go <laughs>
2: And it's It that, nah! that makes it special. It's not. Duh, 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 duh. God bless Lemmy. And God bless. Uh, God bless Pantera. But gotta. They terminally Caucasian or what? It's nah, nah, nah,
4: nah,
2: nah, 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 nah. Just a grinding. Fuck you masterpiece. And I'll never remember Robin Cliff. I'm in the dressing room. I just, it, I just played it. I'd never played it before in my life. And they came in and went, what the fuck is that? Tom Worman came down the hall and went, what is that? And I went, bleh, 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 and scratch. I guess it's a Cat Scratch Fever song. And then I, I, I created it right there. Never gave it a thought, and that's where that great E-flat came in again. <laughs> I throw in another E-flat. <laughs> it's so, so beautifully stupid and dissonant. It's like it's, I got that from Freddie King and Albert King. They never quite hit the notes properly. They're always um, semi-tones. But yeah, and then when I, all around the campfire, again, this is my, my hunting life. I guide an outfit and do charity work with hundreds of hunting families every year. And my campfires are pretty damn special, as you can well imagine. <laughs> <laughs> love my campfire. It's really fun, not to mention the good meat on the grill. But there's an uninhibitedness and a shit kicker brotherhood of nothing sacred and we there's nothing we won't talk about nothing we won't say and it really is the heart and soul of man and so I always when I do charity work and, and donate hunting trips raise lots of money people spend lots of money to hunt with me and believe me it's worth it um I always whip out a guitar and I play all I take requests and so cat scratch fever you know Uh, one guy was a trapper and they passed a law that he wasn't allowed to trap at a golf course. So I changed it to can't trap beaver, can't trap beaver. So I'm a creative son of a bitch. So I can improvise, adapt, and overcome. And back straps are that sacred morsel of, uh, of, uh, upper loin on the top of the deer skeleton and it's sacred, delicious flesh. And so I changed it from Cat Scratch Fever to Backstrap Fever on acoustic guitar one day. And somebody said,
3: you ought to record that. That's awesome.
0: So I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, have, have you been playing it as, as Backstrap Fever? Yes. I, I would like to
2: think that those of us that hunt, the vast majority of hunters, do so for all the perfect reasons. It's fun. It's challenging. It's sport. It's it's unbelievably challenging. Very difficult. You got to get up early. You got to go to the swamp. You got to use the wind. You got to have the sun in your back. I mean, you got to figure out where these elusive animals might go by and you can shoot them and you got to practice so you shoot them good. So it's always fun. It's always sport. The meat is always cherished. I hear about people going, well, I can see hunting for food, but not for trophies. Well, shut the fuck up. The meat is the trophy, you dirtbag. And then Fun, sport, meat, trophy. Every kill is a trophy. Some are bigger than others, but nobody cuts the head off and leaves the meat. Nobody! Maybe the occasional paroled asshole might do that, but that's not the hunting world. Um, And so the backstrap is like one of those terms That is universal and ubiquitous in the hunting world that we love the backstrap because it's the best piece of meat. For example, I kill over a hundred deer every year. There was a snake across my pond. I should jump out and shoot that snake. Anyhow, (laughs) you're lucky. I'm not shooting that. Well, actually, I'll shoot him later. Um, I donate hundreds of deer to soup kitchens and homeless shelters and charities. And stop and think for a moment. The people that would want me would ban that. So I guess they would ban. Sharing the most natural, pure, organic, renewable protein with people in need. So the people that are against my hunting, they're against charity, anyhow. Um, but as as giving and loving and generous as I am, I share all those deer, but I keep the backstraps. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the filet mignon on a on a herbivore.
0: <laughs> um, Ted, thanks for your time. You've given us an hour. Thank you very much for your time. We we love yeah. the record. We think it's a, a, a well. Great thank you record.
2: very much. And I love that you love the record and that you're interested and you celebrate it enough to get a hold of because uh, again, Jason Hartless, Greg Smith, Michael Lutz, the Andy and Tim, everybody involved are the best people in the world that are so dedicated to the music that we love and continuing what those black founding fathers created, going back to Howl and Wolf and Muddy Waters and Lightning Hopkins and John Lee Hooker and how Chuck and Bo and Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis and his band, how they took it to the next step and how the Stones and the Beatles and the Kinks and the Who took that American black music and did their, their reverential touch to it. And the British invasion was actually a black America invasion um, as translated by a bunch of limeys who felt the spirit and the soulfulness that you guys love, that I love, and that millions of people still love. And I hope this pandemic um, backs off, first of all, as we pray for our fellow man that are hurting and are are going through really difficult times. So the Nugent family and my band, my crew, everybody in my life, my whole family, we pray for our fellow humans out there.
0: Excellent. Thank (laughs) you, Ted. Um, Everyone, go ahead and check out the music. Maybe do it. It's great. Um, Thanks. And uh, hopefully we'll see you over here once all this settles down. We'd love to have you back. And uh, new music. New music.
2: Yeah, there will be new music. Um, I, I got some songs, and I want to tour around the globe. I miss England and Europe. I've never been to Australia. Um, I miss touring around the world, but a good man knows his limitations. And I got to tell you. It would be a miracle if I ever tour other than the United States ever again. Oh. Um, there's a good chance of Canadian dates because it's nearby, but I just don't have the energy or uh, capabilities of that damn flight. I just, I, it beats the shit out of me. I went to Okinawa to play for the Marines, and it took me three or four weeks to get really healthy again. Wow. Um, is it with um, the knees? It, it, oh. uh, well, I don't know if, it. you know, I think it's just age, that long flight, uh, I can't sleep on an airplane. And yeah. you know, the first thing to go uh, to, to terrorize your immune system and your health is lack of sleep. Yeah. Um, so I, I, again, I know m- what my limits are, and I'm not taking any drugs to, to mitigate those conditions. Um, I'd rather just eat backstraps. So I think if somebody wants to hear the greatest killer music in the world, they're to come to the United States and watch me and Greg have the time of our lives. It's very, very, very celebratory.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right, guys. Thanks for your time. Thank you so time. much. God, God bless you, man. Thank you as you. well, mate. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Bye.